1: I am Riccardo Patrese. You are listening Beyond the
0: the Grid. Hi, everyone, and welcome once again to Beyond the Grid with me, Tom Clarkson. As ever, it's great to have you with us for what is a really exciting show this week, because my guest is none other than Riccardo Patrese, a driver who will be very familiar to all of you who watched Formula One in the 80s and 90s. Ricardo is one of the most charming and entertaining people I've met in racing, which is always a good start when you're recording a podcast. And he was no slouch behind the wheel either. Six Grand Prix wins and three top three placings in the World Championship make him Italy's most successful driver since Alberto Ascari, who was killed back in 1955. What a crazy thought. But as well as success and speed, Ricardo also had incredible tenacity. His Formula One career spanned 256 starts across 17 seasons, which is a hugely impressive tally in any era, but particularly back in the 70s, 80s and early 90s, when the sport was still so dangerous. He also showed great mental resilience because he ruffled a few feathers early in his career and was ostracised by the establishment, the senior drivers led by James Hunt. Then there were the lean middle years between 1983 and 89, when he took only three podiums in five years. But it all came good later on while at Williams, and particularly when he was teammate to Nigel Mansell in 1991 and 92, the glory days indeed. So sit back and enjoy hearing from a living legend, a man who had four world champion teammates, Alan Jones, Nelson Piquet, Nigel Mansell and Michael Schumacher, and great friendships with people like Bernie Eccleston and Frank Williams. There are some cracking anecdotes, including memories of that famous Monaco win in 1982, the race that nobody wanted to win. He talks about a prank played on him by Nelson Piquet. There's the inside story on that falling out with James Hunt and much, much more. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Ricardo, welcome to Beyond the Grid. It's lovely to have you on the show. We're having to do this remotely through the internet. I'm seeing you though, and it looks absolutely beautiful at the moment down in Padua in northern Italy.
1: Yes, the weather is very good. Unfortunately, we have this strange period that is going on that uh, keeps uh, all of us at home. But uh, fortunately, we have a nice place to stay. We can have uh, open air and we have also some horses uh, with a stable uh, behind the house so we can ride And uh, so at the end, uh, it looks like uh, that uh, we are uh, out of the world because uh, actually the the period is very bad. Uh, We know that uh, there are people that they are not very good uh, and uh, also the fact that uh, you have to stay home uh, if you have the space is okay if you are you, if you don't have i think it's going to be very hard so i have a privilege to be in a place like this definitely
0: how many horses have you got
1: now we have about uh, 10 horses uh, because uh, my son, uh, before to do karting, uh, he was uh, riding uh, full-time uh, and he was uh, a component of the national Italian team for show jumping in the children category. We went to do an European championship in Fontainebleau in France uh, with, uh, with him. Uh, so we have uh, quite good horses uh, to jump uh, and uh, we keep them in a good form because you know you have to move uh, every day because they needed to be like an atlas trained Uh, so anyway it's an interesting job also that
0: (laughs) it's an amazing thing you Patrese's because before you became a racing driver you were what a brilliant swimmer you were uh, a brilliant skier I think am I right to say you were in the Italian national ski team
1: Not really in in, in a national, in the regional uh, uh, ski team group. Uh, Yes, trying to be then in the national team. Then uh, I changed uh, my aim and I went started to do karting. And then, uh, of course, uh, I became a a racing driver. And uh, yes, let's say that my life uh, has always uh, been uh, full of sports. And my family too. My children, all of them, they well, they were always uh, uh, taught to be sportive, uh,
0: natural. Well, let's talk Formula One, and I'd like to start actually, Ricardo, if I can, by asking you about that start record—that 256 starts that you made—and you had the record for 19 years. What did that record mean to you?
1: Well, I, I always thought that was not uh, a great record, but uh, at the end uh, of my career, I thought that if I could survive in uh, Formula One for so many Grand Prix and so many years, it meant that uh, the quality of the job uh, I did uh, was not so bad. Because uh, as you know, if you are good in Formula One, you can resist. If you are not, uh, you are off. <laughs> so being in formula 1 for 17 seasons uh, i think uh, it was a uh, proud for me
0: how did your passion for formula 1 change during those 17 seasons
1: No, oh, well i think uh, at the end uh, the passion was always there of course i didn't have always a good uh, periods uh, so i had to go through low and up because uh, <laughs> i started the, the, my career that it, it seemed very Easy and quick that I could be a winner because South Africa '78 uh, it was my I think uh, seventh Grand Prix and I could win that the Grand Prix if the engine didn't let me down and then after that I had to to wait many Grand Prix before to have my first win then okay with Brabham I went uh, on the top uh, then when I went to Alfa Romeo I went down uh, and then fortunately to Mister Eccleston that got me back at, in. Uh, to Brabham team I could uh, restart uh, to go up uh, because I did uh, two season uh, with uh, Brabham again 86 87 uh, and then uh, finally I got uh, the opportunity to, to go to Williams and then uh, I think it was uh, my best part uh, uh, of the career being with Williams
0: what because you had that combination of, of experience and speed When you were at Williams,
1: well, of course I was a mature driver, and I had uh, still uh, the 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 will to be aggressive because I didn't. Okay, I had a lot of good results, but not really a a top 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 driver yet. And uh, in that case, I I saw that I could have uh, the opportunity to go for the championship because uh, we were fighting for the championship with the Williams uh, Renault team in those years. So, of course, the motivation was very high.
0: Actually, now, and of course, Mansell got to that championship in 92, didn't he? Because there's so much to ask you. Can I just start by asking about some of your sort of the the toughest teammates you came up against? You know, there were, what, four world champion teammates. You you really put yourself (laughs) through it, didn't you, with them? But Alan Jones, you were teammates with him at Shadow in 77, he went on to win the title, of course, in 1980. How tough was Alan? How fast was he?
1: Well, I mean, you're talking about four uh, world championship, uh, world champions. So, so they were all fast uh, and uh, with different characteristics, uh, but uh, they were all tough. Alan, uh, of course, uh, he was not yet uh, a world champion uh, when I was, he was my teammate. Uh, and because of that, uh, we were very equal. No? We were trying uh, with the same... Uh, Opportunities uh, to raise uh, our game, um, and uh, we were very friend. We we went very well together in the year that we were at uh, Shadow in seventy uh, seven. I think uh, that he proved that he could be very very strong driver, and uh, you know, talking also <laughs> with uh, Patrick Head uh, about him, uh, he, uh, he described him as. Uh, a very very tough person, always uh, committed and with not uh, much uh, talking. <laughs> he was always straight to to what he had to do. So that was uh, Alan Jones, and uh, we kept always a very good friendship until uh, he left Formula One, and still still now.
0: Was he mansell esque in the way that he drove a car, in that he was a sort of strong, he had that upper body strength, didn't he, and that sort of unforgiving nature, maybe?
1: Well, they were both very strong f- physically, and, uh, of course, uh, they were using these uh, strengths uh, in, in their, in their uh, body to have the control of the car, because we have to remember in those days we didn't have any power steering or any power brake. uh, So the car was very heavy to drive. So the fact that they were stronger men, uh, I think uh, it helped them and uh, they used this uh, force.
0: And how tough was it for you in 77? Because you were combining your Formula 2 season with Formula 1. You did, what, seven races for Shadow? And um, maybe nine races, I can't remember, but it was... You were sort of toing and froing all across the world, really, weren't you?
1: Yeah, it, it was not tough. The enthusiasm was very high. I was very happy to be a racing driver. I uh, started with the idea to be a Formula 2 driver. And uh, after the pole position, I did that Nürburgring uh, with three seconds uh, in front of uh, Jochen Masse that was coming from Formula 1, that he was an official McLaren driver. Uh, I got uh, this uh, proposal from uh, Shadow to debut uh, in uh, Monte Carlo. So the fact that uh, everything was uh, blowing uh, on my side, uh, even if I had to race every weekend, that was not very hard. Uh, Actually, at the end of the year, just to to have uh, some more races, I went also to Macau and uh, Formula 2 Japanese Grand Prix. And uh, I liked it very much. It was a period that I was completely uh, free and uh, young. So the tiredness uh, never came.
0: How tough was it to make your debut at Monaco?
1: Well, it was very tough because the Monaco is Monaco. I had only, I think, 200 kilometers, 300 kilometers uh, at the poor car on Monday with the car. So not much experience about Formula One for sure. And uh, also about the circuit, I just uh, drove uh, the year before uh, with Formula 3, but I couldn't make the final because I had uh, a crash uh, in the heat, so not many laps done. And uh, when I went on Thursday for the first laps in the circuit, and I had to discover the circuit, discover the car, really not looking uh, in the mirrors because i was very concentrated to to look at the road and to to not to make uh, accident and of course not being very fast i remember all the seniors that they were uh, you know upset uh, send, me, send me make the finger not in a very <laughs> in a <laughs> nice way because i was on the way so it was very tough yeah. because of my possibility to adapt uh, to to the situation and also mentally because I felt a little bit of uh, opposition from the drivers uh, that they were there uh, this on Thursday. Then uh, everything came a little bit better on Saturday because uh, at the end in those days, uh, only 18 cars, they could start the Grand Prix. And I think we were 24 or 26. Uh, so some of, of us, uh, they had to be not uh, qualified. But I managed to be on, on the grid on 17th position. And uh, that was a great result because with no experience. And, uh, you know, in a difficult secret test, Monaco, uh, it was a fantastic result. I think it was even better the day after because I finished ninth at my first Grand Prix. And that was uh, with Jackie Hicks uh, with the inside uh, behind me. That was uh, a great driver
0: indeed he was was jones helpful to you prior to that first race
1: no <laughs> i don't <laughs> think he was helpful he was just doing his job and i was doing my job i remember that you know i was uh, uh my english is still a, a very italian english not not uh, super good english but in those days it was even worse that i had only the the, the the notions uh, that uh, the school gave to me but not uh, too much uh, talking so uh, i was asking uh, to the engineers something that probably uh, was not really what uh, i wanted because when i checked the car in the park fermé. And I thought that the car was regulated in a way, and the car was completely opposite. So probably I was I wanted something, (laughs) but uh, they they understood something completely (laughs) different. And at the end, I drove a car that for me was uh, not uh, not known, and that was very funny. But of course, then being uh, with English team for 90% (laughs) of my career, I could uh, manage uh, to improve
0: uh, that problem. Is it true that both you and Alan had an offer to go to Williams in 78?
1: Yes, it was, uh, it was true, this uh, story, because, uh, you know, Eros uh, started in 78 as well. And uh, only me or Alan could be the driver for Eros for 78 because the second driver uh, was uh, Gunnar Nilsson that was coming from Lotus. Uh, we didn't have an answer uh, for... Uh, for a while, uh, and in the same moment, uh, Frank uh, was building uh, this new team uh, with Saud as uh, as a sponsor, and asked me or Alan because he was doing only one car team for seventy eight. Uh, said, uh, who, who between you uh, and Alan, uh, give me a, a positive answer for next year. Is going to be my driver." But me and Alan, both of us, uh, we were a little bit uh, not sure about because the team was new. Frank uh, had always uh, before problem economically. So both of us, we wanted to stay with Eros for 78 if we could. So the answer didn't come from Eros till uh, Macau, after the Macau Grand Prix in the middle of November. And the answer was that uh, they wanted for me to stay with the team, with Eros. So at the end I decided to stay with Eros and uh, Alan, because he didn't have a chance to stay there, said yes to Frank and uh, he did the right choice because at the end the team uh, really started the fantastic and uh, in uh, 1980 he, won, uh, he could win the world championship.
0: Okay, well look, that's Alan Jones. What about Nelson Piquet then? How do you reflect on him and did you enjoy your time as a teammate with him?
1: Yeah, well, first of all, I always enjoyed uh, my 17 uh, years of Formula One, even the low times. Uh, Now, I still have a very good relationship uh, with all the teammates I had. And, uh, of course, also with uh, Nelson, I I still have a very good friendship and uh, it was a when I came to Brabant, he was uh, already world champion because he he won in 1981. But uh, the atmosphere was very good. It was very familiar. The team and uh, his attitude uh, was always uh, very, I uh, you say, a good time all the time. Always jokes and. Uh, so at the end, at the end, they were two years really very good with uh, with Nelson. Uh, um, the team, uh, it was a, like a family team. Uh, Gordon, uh, Charlie Whiting was the chief mechanic, uh, Harry Blash, and of course, uh, Bernie. We were always uh, together and, uh, and of course also very competitive because, uh, you know, in <laughs> 1983, 83, we won the championship. The car was very, very, very good, as the 92, car. They aspirated that I I won my first Grand Prix in Monaco. But I uh, can uh, just say one one thing: the first day of testing, uh, I went to Poricar, because the you know in, in winter time we were testing a lot of in uh, Poricar. And uh, okay, and I met uh, all the team, and and Nelson was there. We changed in the in the motor room together, me and nelson talking, uh, and then we went uh, for the for the day of testing. At the end of the day, uh, it was uh, already dark because winter time, five o'clock, uh, was dark. Uh, I, I, I went back to change. Uh, and suddenly, I, f- I couldn't find my trousers. I said, uh, okay, now what I do? Because, okay, I can go to the hotel with the over, but I would like to find my trousers. So I went uh, around and uh, nobody knew about uh, the trousers, where they were. And I said, uh, in, I mean, I left here in the motor room, I cannot, I, you know, they, they must be somewhere. After half an hour that I was going around uh, to look uh, for the trousers, uh, my mechanic came and said, come, come, come. Uh, uh, out uh, of the garage, uh, the, the garages uh, there were very high poles uh, uh, where the flags uh, they were standing. Usually. And in one of these pole, uh, about 20 meters high, they were my trouser, like, uh, you know, a, a flag <laughs> that uh, they were on the top of the pole at 20 meters high. And I said, uh, who did this? Who did that? Of course, Nelson. That, uh, it was my first day with the team and immediately a joke just to start. And it went on like that for two years.
0: That, yeah, welcome to the team, Ricardo. Welcome to the team. Exactly, welcome to the team. How quick was he? Was he your quickest teammate? No,
1: the quickest teammate I had, I think, it was Michael.
0: Michael Schumacher at Benetton in '93.
1: Yeah, I think that uh, you know, Alan Johnson was a world champion. Fantastic. Mm, uh, Nelson was a world champion, fantastic. Uh, Nigel as well, but uh, who was outstanding about speed and think that uh, he could do into the car, it was Michael because uh, he's the only driver that I reckon together with Senna, uh, even uh, with an inferior car, they could win races and try to aim to to win a championship. So they could make that big step a small step ahead, even with a car that was not a winning car, that they could win races. I mean, uh, Alan Jones when he won, when he won, when he won the championship, he had the best car of that championship. He was stronger. The same for Nelson. Even if uh, you know, we he had to fight a lot, especially in 1981. I think he had the very best car. In '83, the fighter was very strong with Renault. And uh, when uh, Nigel won in 1992, we had uh, a so superior car that uh, he had to fight uh, only, all, only against me. But uh, Michael Schumacher, the speed that he could produce in, in the car, into the car and uh, uh, the thing that I saw that he could do, uh, it was for me different from all the others that I could see.
0: But was it a fair fight between you and Michael? He was in his second full season of Formula One. You were in your 17th season of Formula One. I mean, you know, the car wasn't the best car on the grid, as you say, in 93. That was the Williams. And therefore, do you think his appetite was somehow stronger than yours?
1: Well, I think that, uh, as you said, it was my 17th season and for him only the second one. Uh, The car, uh, I I went to Benetton because they wanted me to improve the quality of the car because uh, I had the experience of Williams. We had the Active, we had the automatic gearbox. So my experience could help uh, to make uh, the program improvements quicker. But uh, my enthusiasm uh, after some races uh, was not very Good uh, because uh, Briatore started to complain about uh, my performance uh, and he said that I had to go to pension. uh, (laughs) And uh, you know, and at the end of the day, I think uh, that uh, definitely Michael uh, was quicker than I was, uh, but uh, maybe I was tired. Uh, If I had uh, the same enthusiasm of the beginning uh, in that moment, uh, maybe I could match better uh, Michael. But, uh, you know, when you are younger, and uh, I think he was also uh, very talented because uh, in that moment, uh, uh, Mr. Briatore said, ah, Riccardo is not able to match the performance of a young boy and, uh, you know, he's a vice world champion. Uh, If I put another driver instead of him, for sure it's going to be a squeak of Michael. Because Michael was not a Schumacher that uh, now <laughs> everybody knows, he was just a young uh, young guy. He didn't have the success that then he, he had the, with seven championships uh, and, <laughs> and all this story. So because of that, you know, he was uh, giving me hard time because from his uh, point of view, everybody could uh, be as quick as of Michael Schumacher, but I couldn't. Uh, at the end of the day. That championship, uh, for sure, Michael was quicker than I was, but he finished fourth in the championship, and I finished fifth, not very much uh, far from him, you know just one position uh-huh. but as uh, as you said uh, he was the second season, I was the seventeenth season, and for sure we also with uh, atmosphere that didn't help me uh, to have the moral up i think uh, not only. Probably was not my best speed I could produce. uh, For sure, in in other years, I could go much quicker than the speed I had in 93.
0: Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your
1: taxes
2: for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by
1: 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time.
0: Did Nelson give you any advice before going to Benetton because you replaced him?
1: Well, he said to me, be careful with Briatore. He said, I think he had problems with Briatore as well.
0: He did say that, did he? Yeah,
1: he he said, but from that point of view, I have to say that uh, uh, yes, he was was correct because at the end, uh, I went uh, to, to Benetton uh, in 1993 because uh, Alan Prost had to come to Williams because of Renault. And uh, uh, Nigel was world champion and I couldn't think that he, he had to go. Uh, at the end, Nigel uh, got some problem uh, with Frank and uh, he left the team and he went to America. But uh, one week before, I signed the contract for Benetton. And uh, of course, when I knew that there was a place free, and also Frank called me and he said, are you free? Now you can sign for us for 1994. He said, no, fortunately, I signed for Benetton. He said, but but, can you go and ask, maybe if you, they let you free, you can come uh, stay with us. Uh, of course, I went uh, to the management of uh, the team, uh, uh, the president, uh, because the management was Briatore. The president was uh, uh, Alessandro Berettoni in Treviso. And I asked if I could uh, go back to, to Williams and not... Uh, stay with them because, of course, it was my team last five, last five years. It was a winning team and I could have the chance to win the championship and so on and so on. But uh, he told me, no, no, you are too important to, to us because of the program we have, so please stay with us. Uh, he said uh, in a very polite way, and in a way I signed the contract, so I said, okay, I, I put my sign on, so I stay with you. And I said, sorry, Frank, but I have to stay with, with Benetton. But... Uh, I was happy to be with Benetton because uh, with uh, Briatore, uh, that he was very good friend of Alessandro Lannini that he was a very good friend of mine too we had a very good uh, atmosphere now so at the end for me it was difficult to think uh, that uh, maybe Briatore could be uh, you know not uh, positive uh, in, uh, to me but at the end uh, after three Five grand prix. I started, as I said, uh, to to have a you know a bad uh, atmosphere with myself, and at the end uh, I was uh, really counting the number of grand prix to to finish the season because I was a little bit frustrated with him.
0: There are a lot of drivers, I think, who struggled with Briatore, but also struggled alongside Michael. Did you feel that? It was a one-car team at Benetton at the time. Do you feel that you got the same treatment from the team?
1: No, the difference was that, you know, I was putting a lot of attention to improve the car to try, because I came from a perfect car, as it was the 92 car, and I came to a car that had a lot of troubles with all this electronic. So it, more than be concentrated to be super fast, that... Uh, Instead, uh, Michael uh, was uh, super concentrated. Uh, first of all, to be super fast, uh, you know, uh, and he didn't care much if the car behaving uh, was behaving not uh, good. Uh, I, w- I was trying, uh, you know, to to put uh, everything uh, in the right way because I knew what he, he had to be a super car because I had the year the year before. The car never came to this point. Uh, Till, uh, let's say, end of August, uh, beginning of September. And in effect, uh, when uh, the work that I think, uh, because I was complaining, the car was not correct here, if the car is not correct there, we have to improve it this way. Uh, all the team, I, they thought that I I was uh, finding uh, excuses, uh, because maybe uh, Michael was quicker, uh, was but I was trying to improve the program because I knew that the car could be better. And at the end, pushing harder in all the weak points we had, I think the car at the end came good. And at the end, in Estoril, I think the car started to be very good and Michael could win also the Grand Prix there. So at the end, I think that because of that, uh, I felt that this uh, not attention from the team, uh, not attention uh, that, that the team didn't care much about my performance but the performance, but they were very much concentrated about the performance of Michael because it was quicker than I was. And for me, this kind of attitude I never had the, in, in the teams before because when uh, I was in the team, uh, uh, the team uh, always uh, thought that I was putting 101% of my effort, uh, my concentration, to help the team and to be the quickest I could. So it was a surprise for me to be in a team where uh, I was uh, in an angle, no, not considering me, me much. And that, uh, as this is because I was counting <laughs> the Grand Prix uh, to finish the season. But f- from this point of view, let's say that I didn't like it for sure, and uh, probably also influenced uh, my performance. But uh, I don't know if this, uh, there was a uh, different material. The material, I think uh, the teams, uh, because of the World uh, Constructor Championship uh, is the, the most important thing. I think always they put the best car for their drivers on the road because they wanted to have the best performance from both of the drivers. So from that point of view, I, I never thought that there was a, a better car than the, the other car in the in the teams. You understand? If if you talk about you had the better material or you had the worst material, I don't trust this because the teams usually, they put the best they can to have the two best cars on the grid.
0: Let's talk about Williams and Mansell now. You've said already that it was, that was the best Patrese that we saw when you were at Williams and you were enjoying all of that success. I've got a question for you, Ricardo. The first half of 1991, you were brilliantly fast. Mansell, you outqualified Mansell in the first half of the season. What happened (laughs) mid-season? That's what I want to know. Because he suddenly got closer to you again. And what are your memories of that 91 season?
1: Well, uh, yes. The first part of the season, I was uh, better than Nigel. Then Nigel came uh, to the speed that he had to be. Um, uh, let's say that uh, then we start to be more equal in performances. The fact was that in 91, because of course, we have to compare ninety one with ninety two the the characteristics of the car they were uh, they suited better my driving style because uh, we didn't have traction control. because of that, uh, coming out of slow corner, I could use uh, the t- traction due to my <laughs> right foot uh, better than Nigel, and so I could uh, coming I could come out from slow corner a little bit faster than him. And in quick corners, uh, the car we were uh, let's say doing uh, the same the, the same speed. So because I had a disadvantage out of slow corners uh, against him. And then the 92 car that had much more downforce had uh, the traction control. So the advantage I had out of slow corner was completely gone because uh, the traction control uh, electronically. Control this matter, and uh, in the uh, in the high speed corner, because the car was uh, producing a massive uh, downforce, so the steering wheel was very 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 heavy, and uh, because of that, uh, and we were talking about the strength of the driver before, Nigel was stronger than I was. I could, uh, you know, handle the, the steering wheel a little bit more uh, agile. He had the more confidence in high speed corner because he had the more strength, and he could steer with less. Uh, effort uh, that uh, I did so what happened if the advantage uh, that I had in 91 was gone uh, slow corner and uh, in high speed corner was the same in 91 in this case uh, in 92 no advantage out of slow corner and a little bit of disadvantage in high speed corner and Nigel was a little bit more efficient than I was in the car
0: fascinating really fascinating that insight was the FW14B, that 92 car, was that the best car you ever drove?
1: It was uh, the, the most uh, effective car against the opposition that I drove because we had a car that was one, one or two seconds quicker than anybody else. In effect, we won the World Championship with one and two in the classification. My favourite car was the 91 car, the 14
0: How good was the FW11 from 1987? Because you were actually racing for Brabham that year and then Bernie released you to replace Mansell after Mansell had damaged his back in Japan. How good was that car with the um, turbo Honda engine? An absolute beast, right? Okay, uh, because we are
1: doing this interview, I have to say that uh, also how we we came to the fact that uh, I was uh, a 1988 uh, Williams driver. Uh, Bernie, uh, when I came to Formula One, uh, he liked me immediately. And uh, he always gave me advices at the beginning. He wanted to have me before Nelson in Brabant, already in maybe 78 uh, 79 I, uh, I think but I had uh, I had uh, a letter signed with Mr Ferrari that I, I probably I could be a, a Ferrari driver uh, if uh, Villeneuve had to go then he didn't go but uh, made, there was a moment that uh, Gilles was not uh, favored to stay in Ferrari for the following season so I had this letter so I had to Say to Benny, no, I cannot come because uh, I didn't say that I had this letter, but I found an excuse not to, that I I, I couldn't go to his team. Uh, Then, okay, okay, the thing with Ferrari didn't go on, especially finished completely at the end, uh, the middle of 1981. So I said to Benny, "Do do you still want me in the team? In effect, he took me for 1982. Benny, has been a friend of mine always. And uh, in 1987, he already knew that he was going to sell uh, the the team uh, that he, he didn't want to have uh, any more Brabant for the following uh, years. So, he, 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 it, it's very strange that, uh, you know, a, a team owner or a team uh, give a driver to another team. But because he knew this, uh, he, and uh, there was a test uh, in uh, Imola beginning of September where Nigel, again, uh, was not available. He called uh, Frank and he said, uh, well, you need a driver for the test because I, Nigel is not coming. Why you don't test Ricardo? Because I think he's a good driver. Anyway, I can't give you Ricardo. Don't worry for me. It's not a problem. So he called Frank to, uh, to propose me for the, for the test in Imola. Uh, I was surprised, but I was happy.
0: Was Bernie your manager?
1: No, he was not my manager. He was just uh, my friend uh, and, uh, and still a, a very good friend of mine. And I, you know, he, he, he was a, he was a friend of mine. He was uh, he liked me. You know, Benny is a person that when he likes a person, he's always in, on his side. If he doesn't like the person, yeah. <laughs> then you can have a problem with him. <laughs> but uh, he, I was lucky that I was in the side that he liked me. So at the end, uh, I, I did a this I did. A, did this test in in uh, in Imola and uh, I was very quick because I matched the, the time of the poll that uh, I think uh, or Piquet or Banzer did uh, for the Grand Prix and because of that uh, Frank uh, when uh, then uh, um, Nelson decided to, to go gave me the, 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 the chance to sign the contract so if um, Bernie didn't have this idea to send me to the that test, maybe I couldn't have the driver for the following year uh, with, uh, with uh, Williams. Uh, talking uh, And also, because Nigel couldn't make the last races, the last race in Adelaide, he said, okay, don't worry. I find another driver. Go and, and drive the Williams uh, because he, he knew that uh, uh, the following year I was a Williams driver. He said, so you start early your, uh, your adventure with Williams. And uh, if you remember, for that uh, race, uh, I was wearing the Brabant overall, uh, maybe with some um, patch uh, of some sponsor of Williams, but my Brabant overall, but I drove uh, uh, four Williams. The car was fantastic. I remember that uh, the Honda engine uh, uh, with the the BMW, we were using uh, around uh, 11,500 revs, something like that. It was enough uh, to make an overrevving of 100 revs, and uh, the engine had uh, to go down because uh, maybe the following lap, uh, the, the engine could uh, explode, no? And they were really very, very careful about on The engine, especially for the test, uh, coming uh, out of the chicane in front of the pits, instead of to go to third to fourth, uh, I did a mistake. I went third to second, and the engine screamed in a way really very bad. And I said, "Oh, oh, 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 oh!" And that was not a very good start because it was the first day of the two days testing. I said, "Oh, maybe it was the, the, the fifth lap I did." I said, "Oh my God, I'm here. I have a chance to prove that I am in the quickest car of the of the year and to go quick." And I immediately I do a mistake. <laughs> And now for sure, I, I going, I was, uh, I'm going to have a bollocking and so on. I went down and said, look, uh, I did a mistake. I did, uh, instead of the third force, I did the third second. Probably there is a big over-having. okay were well, Okay, the Japanese engineer, they checked and they said, ah, no problem, you can go. And the engine stayed on for the next, <laughs> for two following days. So the engine was really very, very strong engine. And
0: uh, of course, the car was the best car of the year. That's, That's a great story, isn't it? That's a great story. Now, tell me a little bit more about Bernie. Did you feel at that second stint with the team in 86 and 87 that Bernie was starting to take his focus off the team and he was focusing more on running the sport? Did you get that sense from him that it was no longer his priority?
1: Well, I didn't have this uh, this feeling, but uh, the fact was that at the end uh, he sold the he sold the team, and and uh, selling the team, uh, he gave me the opportunity to catch the train of Williams. Uh, let's say again, uh, I had the eighty four and eighty five uh, with Alfa Romeo, and uh, eighty five was the lowest point of my career because. Uh, I didn't get a point in the championship. the car was very unreliable, and uh, really it could be a big trouble uh, to find another, uh, another opportunity in Formula One. And Bernie got me back into the team in '86, always to help me, because he, he trust me, he trust uh, my ability, he thought, always thought that I could be a, a very good driver. And, uh, you know, that is uh, uh, also a thing that I have to thank him because if he didn't give me the chance to go back to Rava, maybe 85 was my last year in Formula One.
0: Mm. Mm. Good old Bernie, really. Now, you mentioned Ferrari a minute ago for that 79 season. you, You signed that option in case Villeneuve went somewhere else. Did you ever meet the old man, Enzo?
1: Oh, Yes yes I, I did everything with it
0: can you just describe that meeting
1: well I, I, you know i was very very young and when i went into his uh, office in modena not in um, in uh, in fiorano it was uh, in the old factory of ferrari in modena uh, I, I, I was uh, uh, with him alone and uh, but he was really very i you say paternalist he was like a father that he was talking with his son, and at the end, uh, at the end, uh, I found uh, very comfortable with him, uh, he, he, even if I could breathe uh, the atmosphere of the, you know, a very very charismatic person. And uh, even um, when uh, at the end uh, this letter uh, didn't go on uh, because he decided to keep uh, Villeneuve, because <laughs> in the, he was doing disasters. But the last Grand Prix that was in Canada, he won the Grand Prix. So at the end, uh, you know, because he liked very, very much uh, Villeneuve, Gilles. But uh, all the media said that it uh, was not good, uh, so on and so. So the media was against Villeneuve because he was doing crashes and crazy things. So at the end, he was prepared to to replace him, but uh, the last Grand Prix he won in Canada, so he had the strength to say, ah, look, uh, I chose Villeneuve, and Villeneuve won the last Grand Prix, so I keep Villeneuve. And this is because this letter didn't go on. The fact uh, was that uh, he wanted me, and because he couldn't uh, make uh, the letter go on, he called me and he said, look, Patrese, the first time I, I get a change in the team i want you to to be and it was uh, you know and they say if you want uh, any advice call me uh, consider me like a father so we went uh, and, and this is because also you know that uh, this letter and this you know uh, talking with ferrari I had to say to Bernie, no, please, uh, I don't want... Uh, I, I said, "I, I remember, if I well remember, I said to Bernie when he asked me if I wanted to have... Uh, because before the, the three-year contracts that uh, Nelson had, Bernie offered to me this three-year contract. And I said, look, uh, Bernie, I'm only two years uh, in Formula One. I have no not much uh, uh, experience, so I'm not... Uh, ready to come to a so big team as yours. <laughs> so I had to find this excuse now, but because it's because I hope that one day in, in the next period, I could have a chance to go to Ferrari. But uh, this thing completely went off uh, in 1981 because there was a moment that it looked like for 1982, I could go to Ferrari. And uh, because um, della Casa called me and he said, maybe the time uh, uh, is good now that for next year. So I hoped that for 1982, I could go to Ferrari. But uh, because of Piccinini that had, uh, let's say, more, uh, I li- he liked more uh, Pironi, uh, they took Pironi at the end. And they told me that if I wanted to be free morally, uh, I could go where I wanted uh, then I said okay Ferrari okay I waited uh, too much I called Bernie and I went to Brabham so you, you understand I don't know yeah. if I explained it very
0: well do you think you would have been ready for Ferrari in 79 you know an Italian driver at Ferrari you were still so young do you think actually it was a good thing that it never happened
1: No, no, I think that if if it could happen, it was a good thing because it was a dream. Uh, You know, I I was young, I was Italian. Uh, Ferrari, you know, Ferrari was the best thing for an Italian driver. It was a dream that could come true. So at the end, uh, if I had the possibility, I don't know if I was ready or not, but uh, let's say that with the enthusiasm I had, and in any way, I think I did... uh, in, in in those days that they were not so bad, <laughs> I think I could manage to be a Ferrari driver. Ferrari was like a dream. You know, for a young Italian driver to be a Ferrari driver was a dream. After 81, Ferrari was like a, a, a completely another team. In effect, uh, around the 90s, uh, I had uh, some other... Um, Contacts with Ferrari team, but because I had the option to stay with Williams, that was a winning team. I said, "Thank you very much. I stay with Williams." You know, the difference was that the beginning was a dream. And then, if it was convenient to go to Ferrari, I could go to Ferrari. Otherwise, I stayed with another team. I wanted
0: to be in the best team I could have. Which year in the nineties are you talking about? When was that contact?
1: It was uh, first when Ferrari, when uh, Ferrari had uh, Mr. Fiorio as a team manager. That F- Mr. Fiorio, I knew him very well uh, uh, because of the Lancia um, uh, endurance uh, program uh, that we did uh, together, and. Uh, At the end of 1991, there was another uh, engineer that I knew from Lancia that I think was Mr. Colombo, that was the manager. It was deciding things in Ferrari in those days that asked me if I wanted to go to Ferrari for 1992. I said, look, I'm in Williams. Next year, probably I knew that the active was coming. (laughs) I have have the best car. Thank you very much. But uh, I, I say I stay with Williams.
0: Definitely the right decision.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Because uh, you know, after it, it, it was still it, the Ferrari was in a very bad period. Uh, you know, uh, uh, seventy nine was the last moment that they won the championship, and uh, yet, uh, they had they uh, had some good results uh, with uh, Michele Alboreto, but. Uh, Uh, Arnur and Ernou, but uh, you know the team was not on the top in those days for sure.
0: It's funny Ricardo. we're speaking today, it's the 19th anniversary of Michele's death today.
1: Yeah, unfortunately yes. Uh, You know we were very good friends uh, and a very good driver, very 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 good driver. I think uh, that uh, if he had the right chance he could be a world champion for sure. And uh, when I stopped uh, racing, uh, I I was always uh, with him in Monte Carlo. And uh, he said to me, ah, you have to come back and do something, making uh, some uh, racing, uh, some something. Uh, And I said, but but why you don't stay at home and you relax a little bit? He he was the the kind of person, the kind of driver that he liked to be in the car all the time. And unfortunately, in that uh, test, uh, he had uh, he had this uh, sad moment, uh, and uh, you know, fortunately, I was giving him the advice to stop, and he was giving me the advice to start again. <laughs> Maybe I was uh, more
0: right than him, Riccardo, It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, just talking about Italian drivers, it was a very rich period for Italian drivers. When you were in Formula One, you know there was yourself, there was Michele, there was De Angelis, De Cesare. I mean, there was a real Italian contingent.
1: Yeah, we 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 were a good uh, a good team of drivers. Uh, well, there was a one season we were thirteen Italian drivers uh, in uh, in Formula One. That's mad. We had the, for sure the help the help of the. The sponsors, many many Italian sponsors that they were in in Formula One, and also the quality. Let's say that uh, myself, uh, Michele, De Angelis, uh, Andrea, uh, and some others uh, behind us, they were we were good. I think at the moment we don't have Italian drivers, not because they are not good, because there is not uh, an economic support for them that they can they can go to Formula One because uh, in these days uh, is even more important to have somebody behind that uh, help you to race. In those days, uh, team managers, they were coming and uh, trying to find uh, talented drivers because they knew that a young driver had to be like an investment at the beginning. Uh, For sure, uh, the driver uh, had to make mistakes, uh, damages. uh, uh, But after when, uh, you know, he he started uh, to be more mature, he can, you know, all the money that maybe they lost with uh, 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 broken cars or broken engines, they could come back because, uh, you know, now uh, to be, like uh, Hamilton uh, or Vettel, you know, a world champion, you you must be as the old uh, world champions. Because at the top, I think an Hamilton, uh, if you put an Hamilton in a 1983 turbo car, uh, no problem for him. But... Uh, what happened behind, uh, let's say, the, the maximum level of driver, now the cars, uh, they are, in a way, more simple to drive because of all the electronics, because of all the helps that the driver they can have, uh, and because of that, uh, you know, and also the, the track are safer, so you cannot crash very often the car, and you cannot break uh, mechanically the car. So at the end, uh, you put... Uh, a young driver, even a 17 uh, old <laughs> driver, uh, and you know that he uh, cannot make uh, many mistakes and he cannot make uh, many damages. So at the end, you can try a lot of drivers because you know that uh, in a way nothing dramatic can happen. in In the day, in the days I started, uh, you know it was very. Very easy to go off the track uh, a, you know and also from the from the health point of view uh, uh, the, the cars they were very dangerous so now the cars they are much more safe and uh, everything uh, you know is uh, is helping uh, to have uh, a safer situations technically and also from the accident point of view. So, because of that, in those days, they were looking uh, very carefully who could go in a Formula One car. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. No, I understand. What about Elio De Angelis? Well, we're talking about the dangers of the sport. You know, you were his teammate at Brabham in '86. He was killed while testing at Paul Ricard. Were you at that test?
1: Okay, with uh, Elio in 1986. Uh, we became a teammates and it was uh, a situation between myself and him uh, not uh, a very friendly situation very friendly situation we had a lot of rivalry during uh, our careers so we were teammates but not uh, really let's say happy to stay together in the team Anyway, we were looking at each other with not uh, much uh, confidence. During uh, the first uh, days of our relationship, uh, immediately things went better. And at the end, uh, before the start of the season, we were friends uh, and uh, we worked very well together. It was a surprise between, uh, between us because, uh, you know, we never had uh, so special feelings. So we we started the season and we were we were a good uh, in a good mood a good atmosphere. The car was uh, this uh, car the 55 uh, that uh, was a completely new concept uh, that uh, Gordon uh, that always had a genius idea came on. Uh, the car was very flat uh, and uh, let's say if you look. Uh, we were sitting down uh, with our shoulders completely out of the car. You can understand that in those days, the cars they were not on the top for safety. If I look now, a car that I drove in those days, I said, uh, OK, I had a lot of interest and a lot of passion, but I can see now that the car has a really some problem for uh, for safety. Uh, okay, in first Grand Prix, uh, I was uh, more efficient than Helio. Helio struggled a little bit with the car. And uh, after the Monaco Grand Prix, I had to go to Paul Ricard. I don't know if it was Tuesday or Wednesday. Anyway, Tuesday probably, to make the test. And Helio, after, uh, at the end of the Grand Prix, came to me and he said, Ricard, look, uh, I know that you are going to have this test. Uh, what do you think if I do the test instead of you? Because I need more time uh, to adjust myself with the car. I need to, to, to learn better the car. I don't feel comfortable. So if you let me to do the test, uh, I gain some uh, So I said, look, Elio, for me, it's not a problem. Let's, let's ask the team. If the team is happy, you can do the test. Uh, no problem. So uh, we did this, and the team said, "Okay, you can come and do the test." So it that at the end, the test that was for me, and that probably if there was not this request from him, I was in the car when the accident happened, and that was the one thing that I I cannot forget uh, still now. No, as things that they can go in one way or in another because maybe God decides. Uh, what uh, had to go
0: on. Can you remember when you heard about the accident? Where were you? What, what were you doing?
1: I was, uh, I was in Padua playing tennis with my friends. And uh, the somebody came to me and he said, uh, look, you uh, had uh, an accident. Uh, they don't know yet uh, how his, uh, his condition So I immediately I called and they told me that it was critical. And unfortunately, if he died. Uh, <laughs> After he, I think he, he died immediately because of uh, all the hot uh, gas
0: uh, he had in his uh, lungs. How did that affect you? Did it affect your desire to get back in the car at all?
1: No, no, I was not happy at all to go back to the car. We were in Spa, I remember, only one car because uh, Bernie decided to go there with only one car. At the first section, I went out, but uh, I, didn't have, I didn't have any desire to drive uh, and I was very sad, uh, very, very down. And I remember that uh, Bernie came to me and uh, he talked to me for for a while and he said to me that uh, he understood uh, my moment. Uh, He had this moment uh, with other drivers uh, of his team or other friends of him that they died in racing, but... uh, he said that uh, because I chose to be a racing driver, I had to accept this thing uh, that uh, it could happen. That uh, for sure Elio, uh, he died, but uh, he, he liked what he did. Uh, and uh, because of that, uh, I have not uh, to be sad. And uh, to respect uh, his memory, uh, I had uh, to try to overtake uh, the problem uh, go in the car and do the best I could to, uh, you say, to respect his memory. And uh, because of these words that he, he told me, he gave me the strength to go back to the car and uh, to overtake the problem, and I went on.
0: I mean, it wasn't your first brush with death because it happened all too frequently back then, didn't it? With Villeneuve and then... Actually, Ricardo, of course, Peterson at Monza in 78. That was must have been a very tough moment for you because you were being accused by people of causing the accident with Ronnie. How do you reflect on Monza 78 now?
1: Well, I I reflect that what was was done uh, from my colleagues was uh, completely wrong. I think all the the, world has this opinion now that the fact that I couldn't race in Watkins Glen. uh, Let's say that... uh, it was a very hard moment for me because I was only 24. I know, I knew because I was in front of the accident. I didn't make any influence to the accident. Uh, it was not my fault. I had a big problem with the Italian uh, uh, justice uh, for three years before they said that I was in, innocent. So a lot of uh, a lot of pressure that. Uh, because of my character that uh, is a strong character uh, I could overtake I think uh, I showed that I did a race in Watkins Glen and the following race one week after uh, in Montreal I finished fourth so it was a good result
0: Why were you singled out I mean it's been it's a long time ago now I understand that but when you think back why you know, you talk about not being allowed to race at Watkins Glen because five of the senior drivers said they would withdraw from the race if you were allowed to start. What was their issue?
1: Uh, the, the issue was that uh, they wanted to, to give me a lesson because, from their point of view, during the season, uh, I drove in a too wide uh, mood, wild mood. And because of that, uh, they wanted to give me a lesson. Not because of the Monza accident, but because of my behavior during the season. But the fact was that all the world uh, got this uh, exclusion uh, because of the Monza accident. Anyway, it was not correct that the five of my colleagues, uh, they they could decide, uh, because of the Federation didn't say anything about it, the Federation didn't get any they said that I was completely okay. There was not uh, any blame uh, on me because of the Monza accident. But they decided um, <laughs> because I, you know, I was uh, a fighter. When they wanted to have this uh, not uh, for me racing, uh, I went to a civil judge in. A Court in America with a friend with a journalist friend of mine. We went. We asked if that was correct, and the judge said, "But uh, there was a there is a penalty from your federation. No, there is not a penalty. So he said they cannot uh, stop you working because uh, you, you racing working glen, and that is like a work. Nobody." from uh, a federation said that, that you cannot do. So they are workers as, as you, they cannot decide. So I went back to the circuit with this piece of paper that uh, said that, that I had to race. Because, you know, the problem was <laughs> always uh, trying to to find the, the right uh, compromise. So I said, look, uh, Ricardo, there's five world champions. So they said... You are a, a young driver, for sure. <laughs> for me, is a problem if five world champions they don't drive in Watkins Grand. Let's try to find a solution. Talk with them, and, and and because of that, I organized a meeting between myself and them in a motorhome where I got a lot of rubbish from them. Uh, always in a very, come to say, umile, humane. Uh, very calm situation, saying sorry, 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 to try to to change their opinions. Uh, they didn't change opinion, so I went to this judge. The judge said I had to to race. I went back with a piece of paper. I went to Jackie Oliver. and said, Look, look, I have, I can race, I can race, but uh, politically the team uh, Arrows was the first year, and uh, Bernie said, Okay, if he comes back with this piece of paper, we cannot allow Ricardo race. Otherwise, the Grand Prix is going banana. So, at the end, the team uh, had to retire my car. So, I went to, to Oliver, said, ah, "I can race, I can race." He said, "No, Ricardo, you, you, you don't race. Why can't race? Because we retired the car. You have no car to drive. <laughs> so, because of that, uh, the situation finished like that. Let's say that the problem was uh, that mainly because uh, Hunt. Didn't say a word uh, in that uh, meeting. Uh, you know, was part of a clan in those days. There was a clan of seniors. You know, the seniors uh, they were very close together, and who was coming from uh, outside, uh, especially a young driver, was not really very much uh, welcome. Let's say, no. And of course, yes, I was. Uh, I was aggressive and wild. I have to say that you know. With, uh, with the rules of now, for sure, <laughs> I could have a lot of penalties <laughs> because of my styling uh, of driving. But uh, in those days, you could do it. And uh, yes, I was aggressive. I was young. Uh, this happened, uh, when he came uh, two years ago. And, uh, you know, he was very aggressive. <laughs> and I, the, the seniors to, to started to complain about him, <laughs> he remembered me a little bit, you know, you know, because he was the young guy, you know, that uh, he tried to force uh, his, uh his, uh, uh, his, coming into the, into the group of the champions. So, but, but, you know, and, uh, anyway, after this moment, uh, uh, Emerson came and he apologized, uh, Jody... <laughs> Uh, let's say not immediately but the year after Jordi said the same I said I I was not uh, really much uh, um, interested Uh, so he said I I didn't care much Um, who was there then Um, okay the the, the strongest one that uh, came against me in the future, after uh, after this uh, this moment, there were hunter. Uh, you know that uh, for, forever, uh, he, he
0: always did the very bad comments about me. Did you ever have a civilized conversation with James Hunt ever again? No, no, I didn't have the last
1: conversation I had with him. By chance, uh, was uh, that uh, he was uh, in motor uh, motorhome, and I came in. Uh, and Bernie said to him, "Look, uh, James, uh, uh, I think after um, this year's, uh, it should be good. Maybe that you apologize to Ricardo for what uh, happened, and so on." Uh, and uh, he said, "I don't apologize to. I have nothing to apologize to Ricardo." And so I said, "Bernie, okay, I'm I, don't worry, Bernie." I said. Uh, I come later because I had to speak with him, and before to go down from the motor room, I said, uh, "You know, I, I don't, I don't need uh, I don't need James, I don't need your excuses, your apologies." But I want to say one thing to you. And going down to from the stairs, I said, uh, "Fuck off!" <laughs> but I don't think this is good to say. But really, this is my last words with Mr. James Sand.
0: You can tell Ricardo was very upset by how James Hunt had criticised him throughout his career. It continued when Hunt became a TV commentator. At the 1983 San Marino Grand Prix, Patrese took the lead from Ferrari's Patrick Tambay, and Hunt described what happened next.
2: And Patrese's done it. He's towed past him on the straight. Well, he should be. Um, he's only got to stand up and the car's got to hold together to win this race because uh, he's quicker then Tambay and Tambay really should have no reply, but Tambay is not giving out. Patrese, oh yeah, That's a terrible mistake by Patrese. Only got to stand up, I said, and I have to say that looked like a real uh, bit of Italian temperament from Ricardo Patrese. Now he gets off the line onto the marbles and straight off, and that was really just a terrible mistake by Patrese. He. Uh, Obviously, uh, his concentration was at fault. Looks like, uh, I'm afraid, he just got completely overexcited, or so it would appear.
0: And in South Africa in 1992, after the pre-season driver weigh-in, Hunt couldn't resist highlighting Betrezi's inability to match teammate Nigel Mansell's weight.
2: Nigel Mansell has arrived leaner and fitter than usual. With a, uh, He says a newfound attitude, and it certainly looks that way. He's uh, very positive, and he has absolutely dominated... Practice and qualifying here in the last few days. In uh, contrast, his teammate Ricardo Patrese has gone the other way. He arrived. As he weighed in at the uh, six-monthly weigh-in for the drivers, heavier than Mansell for the first time ever. And once he saw that, he seems to go into a decline and has really not delivered at all, considering how dominant Williams the Williams has been.
1: Mansell leading, Patrese second. Uh, Senna is in third place.
2: Senna certainly will be very frustrated now. Patrese was uh, really not up to scratch at all in qualifying. There was nothing wrong with his car, according to the team. He just seemed depressed about uh, being fatter than Mansfield. And uh, I
1: think at the end, uh, it was uh, a pity because I didn't have anything against James. Uh, but uh, he, for, for somehow, he always came against uh, me. I don't know why.
0: Do you think those five world champions would have followed through with their threat not to race at Watkins Glen if you'd been allowed to start?
1: Uh, well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, I cannot know. Uh, probably yes. You know, they promised this. and if, I think that uh, we cannot know, but uh, there was no chance for me. I was too young, the team was too young. And uh, politically, there was, uh, you know, interest uh, behind that that, uh, I couldn't race in definitely because of all these uh, things.
0: How much of this can be traced back to the Swedish Grand Prix of 78, where you had that Brilliant second place, just ahead of Ronnie. But he wasn't completely happy with you after the race, was he? I mean, he was one tenth of a second behind you at the finish, but he had a few words afterwards, didn't he?
1: No, no, but he, he didn't ever. No, 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 he didn't. Uh, I mean, be, uh, between all the seniors of those days, uh, the most uh, friend uh, with me was uh, Ronnie. He never came anyway. He never. Yes, he, he said that. Look, you were, you, your car was too wide. But it was the last uh, four or five laps, or so at the end, uh, I tried very hard uh, to keep uh, my second position. Uh, I think it was my first podium, uh, that one. Uh, so, you know, I lost to South Africa while I was winning the Grand Prix. I was always competitive uh, so on. So uh, at the end, I was trying desperately to, to have uh, a good result but uh yes he, he said that to me my no, the car your car was too wide, but he was not uh he didn't stay in a very uh, bad uh, mood and at the end uh, between all of them, he was the most friendly senior that uh, in in those days uh, I had so when when the happen- when the accident happened, uh, I was really very sorry for him, very sad
0: let's talk now just about some of the The high moments, and um, I mean, that mad, mad first Grand Prix victory for you at Monaco in '82. Well,
2: we've got this ridiculous situation. We're all sitting by the start finish line waiting for a winner to come past, and we don't seem to be getting one.
0: Well, Prost led and went out, Patrese led and went out, Pironi led and went out, De Cesaris led and went out, and now Patrese is coming in to win, without a doubt, despite having spun off. Ricardo Patrese comes up to the line to win his first Grand Prix. He takes the chequered
2: flag and wins. Certainly the most eventful, exciting, momentous Grand Prix I have ever seen.
0: I've had to re-watch the last lap of that race a few times before speaking to you. Because as far as I can make out, you inherited the lead from Prost. Then you spun, went back to third, and then you inherited the lead again. The fact that I got back the lead, I never knew.
1: <laughs> and <laughs> when I, I crossed the line, I didn't know that I was the winner of the Grand Prix. At the end, when they sent me they sent me uh, to the podium, for me it was a surprise. I thought that the, at the last second... Instead, to have only the winner, because in those days, only the winner had to go on the podium, they changed the regulation. They said maybe the first three drivers, they go to the podium. So it was a big surprise. Because uh, when I spun off, uh, I saw uh, Pironi that uh, came by. I saw the Cesaris. Uh, but I saw also Williams that I thought was Rosberg. It was just behind me, two or three laps uh, before the tie span off. So at the end, uh, I thought that uh, Williams won probably Keke, but uh, it was not the Williams of Keke, it was the Williams of Daly that was lapped, Keke retired. And, uh, and of course I didn't know anything because in those days we didn't have the radio in the car. We were still in that period that the driver was completely alone inside the car and he had to do the choices and everything alone.
0: Was it was an amazing day? What did Bernie say to you after the race? Oh,
1: Bernie, Bernie, uh, uh, he left. Usually, <laughs> he, he, <laughs> yeah. Bernie, uh, half an hour before the races uh, was uh, f- finished, uh, he was uh, left to go home. So he, he, I didn't see Bernie after the race. I spoke with him the following day uh, at the phone because we didn't have a mobile phones in those days. So he he left uh, and uh, he he was very happy because uh, it was a a Brabant win in Monaco that uh, I think it it was the only Brabant win in Monaco of his his team. Anyway,
0: (laughs) it was a mad, mad victory. But of your six wins in Formula One, which one are you most proud of?
1: Well, yeah, I, liked, uh, I liked all of them, of course, because the winner is always... Uh, they're, they're the most one that I remember with most biggest pleasure is uh, Imola 90, because uh, it was uh, a coming back uh, to win uh, after a low moments, uh, as I, I said before, the Alfa Romeo. Anyway, it was a long period there because... Uh, before it was uh, 83 South Africa and then uh, I had to wait uh, for seven years before to win again uh, that was imola and also because of Imola because of what happened in 1983 in aqua minerali when I when I crashed uh, you know there were some polemics with the Italian publics with, uh, So I saw at the end uh, to win in imola and having also the Italian people cheer cheering up for me was
0: nice. I thought you were going to say Mexico 91.
1: Mexico 91, I liked it very much because uh, to beat uh, Nigel and Senna is something very important. And uh, the way that I won, that was dominant, I think it was fantastic. But uh, let's say that I remember more uh, Imola because of this fact of 1983 and then the fact that I won in Imola in 1990, it was like my own Grand Prix because uh, Imola was like my own circuit. But uh, I, I like uh, I like all my wins. The, you know, I think uh, these wins uh, I deserve it, and probably I, des- I deserve it. I deserve more wins than six because if you look how many times uh, I was. Uh, Leading a Grand Prix and the car let me down and finishing 19 times second. And the guy in front of me never stopped. Probably at least a double of uh, six I could win in my career, that's for sure.
0: (laughs) You definitely deserve more than six. You mentioned Senna there. How was your relationship with Ayrton?
1: I was very good.
0: Was there ever an opportunity where you may have been teammates together?
1: There was the opportunity uh, in Ferrari because Fiorio wanted to have a, a team of Senna Patrese in Ferrari but uh, it never happened for me and it never happened for Ayrton too this is the only the only thing moment that they could be teammates but uh, let's say that uh, Ayrton uh, I I said before I think uh, is uh, one of the two drivers that I saw in my career that they could make a difference for winning uh, even with an inferior car, with a car that
0: was not a winning car. Uh, You know, it was him and uh, Michael Schumacher. Sure. Sure. And if you could pick one of them, if there was Patrese Grand Prix and you could have one of those two drivers, which one would you choose? Schumacher or Senna?
1: Sorry, who is the best between Schumacher and Senna? Yeah.
0: That's basically what I'm saying. No,
1: no, really. I cannot say that. uh, I I put uh, on the top uh, both of them. They were very different, uh, I think. uh, But at the end, uh, they were uh, outstanding, the same. I think uh, both of them, they had very bad luck in life. (laughs) They were lucky when they were racing, but very bad luck
0: in life. And I'm sad for them for what happened to them. I'm also interested that your Formula One career came to an end in 93. You didn't look at IndyCar. You didn't look at a career in the Sports Car World Championship. Obviously, you'd done that before with Lancia, I understand. But you were ready just to hang up your helmet.
1: Well, yes. Yeah, so I, I was tired to go around with my... Uh, suitcase uh, every every week, and uh, at the end, uh, I, I prefer to stay home, uh, um, but uh, not immediately because uh, when the '94 season started, uh, I still had uh, some, uh, you know, will to stay in Formula One because it was very hard to see everybody starting the season and staying home. So um, let's say that uh, I didn't decide yet 100% uh, at the beginning of '94 that I was completely off. What happened was a uh, Imola weekend that uh, because of this uh, thinking that maybe I like to go back, uh, Uh, I went to to Imola uh, to the Williams team uh, to say hello and I had the idea to propose myself to do some tests for them because uh, I knew that uh, they had the problem with the passive car that uh, they came back uh, because uh, the active was banned after 93 and uh, I was the last driver that I drove a Williams passive uh, the 91 car the 14 so I said that maybe I can give them some help uh, to, to put together the car because uh, the car of 94 uh, didn't handle uh, very well and Senna had the problem with Schumacher that uh, I think uh, won the Brazilian Grand Prix before to go to Imola so anyway with this idea to go and make some tests I said uh, if I go there, I know that, that they they like me. I know I know that they appreciate my work. And if I am quick, maybe for 1995 uh, I can have back uh, uh, a driver with Williams and Ayrton uh, because in those days uh, Damon was just the newcomer, not and and uh, and I thought that maybe I could have that place. So I went there and I said this to Frank and Patrick and they said, ah, yes, fantastic. And then we went and we talked with Ayrton and Ayrton was enthusiastic as well. And uh, so we had a conversation all together. This was a Saturday uh, afternoon after practice. And uh, so I left Ayrton uh, just to say bye bye. Uh, next test, uh, we, we will meet. He said, "Ah, oh, yes, I'm happy to work with you." So very friendly conversation, and I left. And I uh, on Sunday I was watching uh, the Grand Prix, and uh, the sad accident uh, happened. Immediately, I said, uh, oh, "Oh, yeah. The the fact is that maybe it's not. They don't need any." More a test driver, they need a a racing driver back. Anyway, I saw the Williams team in Monaco for the following Grand Prix. Frank wanted to talk with me asking if I still had the the idea to to be with them and maybe they needed not a testing driver but... uh, a proper driver, and I still said yes. But uh, in those two weeks after the accident, uh, I didn't live uh, very well. I had always uh, conflicts. I I was not uh, happy with the fact that I had to go back to the car. So at the end, uh, when finally it looked like that I really had to go and replace Ayrton, uh, because I didn't feel uh, very comfortable with this uh, situation because I started to, to think too much about, about Ayrton. I uh, was uh, the uh, most uh, expert driver. He was in the team that I considered uh, always the safest team. I knew how much care they put uh, into the car, and it happened to him. Maybe it can happen to me as well. And if I stayed for so many years in Formula 1 and I'm still alive, uh, maybe I go tomorrow and maybe it can happen to me. So, anyway, I had uh, too many doubts about uh, that uh, I never had before. So, because of that, I decided that uh, for me it was over. I called Frank and I said, Look, uh, if you know you had the idea to have me as a driver, uh, it's better you consider another option because uh, at this point, uh, probably I decided that for me, Formula One and uh, for driving generally is over. Frank said, are you sure? Yeah, Yes, I'm sure because I don't feel confident. So thank you very much. And I put
0: down the phone and that uh, was over with Formula One. And when you put the phone down, was it a weight off your shoulders? Did you immediately feel different having said that to Frank?
1: No, I, I knew that I decided that, uh, yes, it was over. And in effect, uh, I didn't have any regrets after that. And uh, because of that, I was uh, with uh, the mind free. As you saw, I went away also from the ambience of Formula 1 for many years. uh, And I stayed uh, calm with my new passions, my new hobbies, with the family. So I changed my perspective,
0: (laughs) definitely. Wow. Ricardo, yours is an amazing story and it's... Funny to think that history is now repeating itself with your son, Lorenzo.
1: Oh, yes. Lorenzo, as I, as I told you before, he, he was planned to be a rider. But two years ago, decided uh, that he wanted to try to do some karting, uh, even if I didn't want much. Because uh, here at home, we have everything, uh, facilities to be good with horses for jumping. So I was not uh, much pro this, uh, but he insisted. uh, And at the end, uh, I have to say that because he started uh, late compared with other uh, colleagues, uh, that they start when they are seven, eight, uh, he started when he was 11. He did a good improvement. uh, And so I said, okay, let's go on uh, with karting. But uh, at the end, I enjoyed very much because, of course... uh, the time is going backward because I was a racing, a karting driver as well. I started my career with karting and I had the peak of with that peak satisfaction.
0: Karting world champion. Yeah,
1: so so because of that, uh, at the end, uh, we like uh, to be in in this world. Uh, he likes, of course, and I like as well. Uh, the difficult part uh, when he's uh, out of karting, uh, if he wants to be a racing driver because as I said, uh, you need uh, to have uh, support because otherwise, uh, economically, uh, or somebody that uh, you know take you in uh, this academy and uh, and help you uh, help him to Formula One. That means he has to race F uh, four, F three, F two, and you know you need a lot of money because <laughs> without money you go nowhere in these days.
0: I find it amazing that there has been no Italian world champion since Ascari, Alberto Ascari. Maybe Lorenzo is that man.
1: I don't know. It's too
0: early to say.
1: I try to give uh, my best help to him. And uh, yes, this is a good uh, technique. I think, uh, yeah, he can be a good uh, racing driver. I don't know if he can be a world champion. Let's say that uh, I, I, at the beginning I, I didn't uh, know because I am uh, quite severe in uh, in judgments, no? But uh, after two years of karting and already did he already did uh, some testing in F4, I have to say that uh, it's not bad. It's not bad. So he can be a good racing driver. I don't know how good he can be if he has to go to the maximum level, to, uh, as you said, uh, to be a world champion. But uh, let's try. I hope that for him that he can
0: he can do it. It's lovely to see your helmet colors back on a racetrack.
1: But yes, I like to see my my colors back. Uh, but uh, you know, I think those colors. But generally, the old helmets. Uh, I like the old style uh, color helmets because the new helmets they are. Uh, it's, it's difficult to recognize an helmet, but in the. In the way that the helmets were, I think it was much easier to recognize uh, the driver.
0: I would agree, and yours are very famous colors, Ricardo. It's been wonderful to chat. Thank you very much for your time, and uh, the weather looks fantastic down there in Italy. So I suggest I suggest you get out there, <laughs> get with those horses. <laughs> Thank you very much. It was a pleasure
1: to talk with you and all, uh, and all the fans, uh, and so. Have a nice time also in England. Let's hope that uh, this uh, situation finishes soon and we go back to action.
0: (laughs) Great stuff. Thanks, Ricardo. Thank you. Ciao. What fabulous stories, from PK stealing his trousers to the parting words to James Hunt and that incredibly powerful tale of the death of his Brabham teammate Elio De Angelis. Ricardo raced and lived in an extraordinary era of Formula One, and we're very lucky that he's able to relate some of those experiences to us today. And history might yet repeat itself, because as you heard, Ricardo's teenage son, Lorenzo, is now tearing up the kart tracks of Europe. Might we see that iconic blue and white striped helmet back in Formula One? Well, let's hope so. Ricardo, many thanks for your time. It was great to catch up. And I look forward to seeing you soon at next year's Monaco Grand Prix, if not before. That's almost it for this week. But before we go, it's time to dig into the virtual mailbag to see what you've been saying about the show. And there's a lot of love for Heike Kovalainen, my guest on last week's show. Absolutely loved this episode and how brutally honest Heike was at all times, says Connor O'Brien. Great insight. Well, yeah, he certainly was brutally honest, Connor. He told some great anecdotes too. And Thomas wrote in to say this. Just listen to the Heike episode. He gave amazing insight into the management side that I hadn't expected. These podcasts have been a godsend to me as I repaint the house. It's like watching paint dry, isn't it, Thomas, eh? (laughs) Thanks for the note. It's great to hear from you. And Noah Motor said, I really loved the episode with Heike while I was running a few kilometres on my treadmill. Not many times one has the chance to listen to such a candid conversation. Heike did show a very humble personality. Really like this chat. Thanks, DC, for bringing the interesting stories. You're welcome, Noah. Thanks for listening and keep up the running. And a quick shout out to Joachim Diadand, who sent in a picture of him listening to Beyond the Grid whilst driving his Ferrari red lawnmower. Great pick. Keep them coming. Well, that's it for this episode, but we'll be back next week with another big name from the wonderful world of Formula One. In the meantime, if you want to drop me a message about the show and potentially get a shout out right here, I'm at Tom Clarkson F1 on Twitter, or you can use the hashtag F1BeyondTheGrid. Thanks for listening, everyone. As ever, Beyond the Grid is produced by F1 in association with Audio Boom. Until next time, keep it flat out.